The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our leadership. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God created man and woman, and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents to cultivate the field he's called us to for his glory. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead because the world needs you right now. No matter who you are, it's my prayer that as you listen and as you begin to believe, you will see yourself growing as a leader. God bless you, and God bless your leadership. So as I said, we're in June, so this is our month of blessing. And as I was asking the Lord what it was that he wanted to teach his children this evening, speaking about blessing and speaking about leadership and trying to understand what, what, what the message is, when the month of May began and it was our month of giving and I was trying to think about, well, what, what, what does the leader give and what does Jesus give? And that was sort of the starting place for me when I thought about um, how do we look at leadership through the lens of giving, at least where do we start? And so when I sat down to try to understand, okay, well, blessing, where do we begin? What, what, what is the leader's blessing? And Father Abraham came to mind. And so we're going to spend the time that we have this evening looking at Abraham. We're actually going to look at Abram. So we're going to look at the man who he was before he became the fullness of that promise. And I believe that this is uh, a really subtle but powerful word that the Lord has given us because, you know, when we think about Abraham, first of all, when we think, well, when we think about Abraham, we don't spend that much time thinking about Abram. We, we don't really think about who he was before he came, before he became that, that name that we now call him by. But more to the point, when we think about Abram, we don't actually think about him in leadership terms, you know? When we think about Moses, we know that we're talking about leadership. When we think about David, we know that we're talking about leadership. When we think about Paul, we know that we're talking about leadership. But when we think about Abram, we don't really think about leadership. We think about a man of great faith, and we think about a man who persevered. We think about a man who was deeply tested and faced some challenging situations and made some mistakes, but ultimately it was this great faith of his that has been gifted as an inheritance to those of us who believe. But as I looked at him, I realized that Abram actually was a great leader and he was a quiet leader. And the reason why I know that Abram had to be a leader is because, first of all, he had to come out of Ur of the Chaldees. He, when God called him, he had to come out of what he had been. He had to come out of his family, come out of his country, come out of his company, come out of his identity. 
and lead this troop that he had, because the Bible tells us that he left with his wife, Sarai, and all of the souls that they had gathered. Later in the Bible, we know that there were at least 300 trained men who belonged to his household. So we know that Abram was a wealthy man by the standards of the day. And yet, so he had to lead all of these people from Mesopotamia, what is now modern-day Iraq, and he had to get them all to what is modern-day Israel. It's, it's a far journey. So he had to lead the people. So that's a sign of leadership. We know that Abram, when he got to the land and he was living in the land, the Bible says that in, that, in those days the Canaanite was still in the land. We know that Abram was able to make alliances with his neighbors. So he had alliances with Abimelech. He had alliances with some of the other uh, men who lived around him when he stayed on, on the plains of Mamre, when he was looking for a place to bury Sarah. When Sarah died, he was in alliance with the Hittites who surrounded him, and that's why they were able to sell him the plot of land where he uh, at Machpelah, where he eventually buried Sarah. So in order to make those alliances with people who were not his kin, he had to have some leadership qualities. He had to have some leadership skills and abilities. And then, of course, we have the story of him going to war when the five kings gather against the four kings and there's this war and his nephew Lot is taken because uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah lost the war. And so Abram gathers his men and they go and they fight and they're successful, they're victorious in this battle. So we don't really think of Abram as being a, a chieftain or a warrior, but he was all of these things. And so he had this quiet form of leadership that we're going to look at tonight because tonight we are speaking about the journey of faith. And this relates to blessings because I didn't, I didn't know whether to call this message the journey of faith or the journey of blessings, but I realized that actually it's one and the same. It's the same thing. And so we're going to look at this journey that Abram takes and we're going to see how it relates to our own journeys as leaders. What does it mean? And Let's now go to our text. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 12, of course, because this is where Abram's story begins. This is his call when God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, but it's also the beginning of his story of blessing, but it's also the beginning of his story of faith. So we need to start here in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken. Amen. Let us pray. 
Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on this assembly one more time. Father, we lift up the school of ministry and leadership before you once again. We thank you, Father, that it continues to please you, that we can come to you week after week and ask you our questions. We might not ask them with our lips, but you hear the petitions of our heart and you're a good father and you answer us in ways that sometimes we're not even aware of. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this word tonight. I ask that you blow on it, Lord, and you blow it into the secret places of your children who are gathered here today. And I pray, Lord, that this word will go to work immediately and do what it has to do, whether it has to confront, whether it has to encourage, whether it has to bless, whether it has to reform. Lord, let your word do its work as only your word can. Father, these are your people. You know who they are. You know the plans that you have for them, plans to give them hope and an expected end. And I pray, Lord, for fortitude and courage as we all become, as we take this journey of faith. Let it be translated, Lord, into a journey of blessing as we become the leaders, Lord, that you have purposed us to be from the foundations of the earth. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. And all the saints shall say, Amen. So we look at Abram, and the one thing that the Bible calls Abram a lot is it calls him a sojourner, or it refers to him as sojourning in the land. We see this language used a lot in Genesis, not just of Abram, but also of the other patriarchs. Joseph uses it. I think Isaac uses it. And then David in his Psalms uses it. We have that Psalm of David crying out where he says, I'm a stranger and a sojourner in the land. And so when I thought about that word, I thought that it meant to travel long or to travel far. And I thought that's what it meant when uh, we refer to Abram as a sojourner. He's one who had to travel far, he had to travel long. And so I was surprised when I looked into the dictionary and that's not quite what the word meant. To sojourn actually means a temporary stay. And I thought that that was actually a really powerful way to frame this journey, this journey of faith and this journey of blessing as a leader. Because as a leader, you never really stay in the same place. The whole point about leadership is that you're always pressing on to what's next. You are charged with changing the status quo. If you just stay at the level where you've always been, whether that's a particular rank in a company, whether that's having a particular size of a team, then you're, you're no longer leading. You've sort of fallen into management. And there's nothing wrong with management. We need managers. But we have to understand that managing and leading are not the same thing. Managing is, is to stay in the place as you found it. But leading is really to change the place, leave the place different from where you found it, either by growing it or by taking it higher or by pulling others up. But you're never staying in the same place. And so this is why 
the idea of sojourning becomes useful to us as we discuss leadership. As a leader, you should always understand that you are you you always find yourself in a temporary place because where you are at any given moment in your leadership, it's just a step away from the next height or the next goal or the next expansion. So Abram, the Bible tells us, was a sojourner. And why I like this idea of Abram as a leader is because the one thing that we know about Abram is that he was the man who was able to manifest the promise that God had planted within him. And what was that promise? It was a whole new nation. And when you think of your own leadership assignment, you shouldn't think that your assignment is any less, that there's a whole nation that God has planted within you. And your job, your task, your assignment is actually to do what it takes to bring the manifestation of that nation to pass. And so when we look at the text today, we see that indeed this call, when God calls Abram out, he's calling this man who's carrying the seed, this man who has not yet become, and it's the beginning of Abram's journey of faith, his journey of blessing, his leader's journey. And so when God calls Abram out, he's calling Abram out of something. He's calling him out of his country, out of his kin, out of his father's house. In other words, when God speaks to Abram, he says, Abram, I need you to come out of your people. I need you to come out of your identity I need you to come out of your place of belonging. I need you to come out of who you think you are. I need you to come out of where you've always been because I want to show you something and you will never be able to see this if you stay where you've always been. So God speaks to Abram and he says, come out and I will make you a great nation. And that should already be sending some tingling and some some bells ringing because that sounds so familiar to us. Come out and I will make you a great nation. And that's almost exactly what Jesus says the second time when he speaks to his disciples and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so we know already that God always has to take us through this process of construction, that when he's forming you and fashioning you, he has to take you out, out of your way of thinking, out of your values, out of your self-construction of who you are. He has to take you out of those things before you are ready to fully possess this promise that he has for you, before you are able to even conceive the promises, conceive his plans for you, before you can even believe it, let alone understand it, God says he has to take you out in order to make you. And remember the teaching that we had on doorways some time ago when we were looking at Joshua and how the the people of Israel, when we, we looked at the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, They had to go through the Red Sea. 
the Red Sea represented one doorway of them coming out of their bondage. But when they pass through the wilderness and they are now about to enter into the promised land, there's another doorway. They have to cross through the Jordan. And just think about it. Whenever you walk through doorways, you always walk out of one space into another space. The doorway represent these two different places. When you're in a hallway, you have to come out of the hallway and into the bedroom. So doorways always represent this duality of coming out before going into. So God says to Abram, come out and I will make you a great nation. And the thing that we notice in this call is, is that there is always a land of your nativity. There's always a land that you were born in. And there's always a land of promise. And these two lands are never the same place. Why is that the case? Why is it that our land of nativity can never be our land of promise? It's because, of course, we know that when we were born, we were born into the absence of God. By virtue of Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that our spiritual DNA was forever changed. And so everything in us, all of our disorders, all of our longings, all of that is just the manifestation of our souls crying out for the presence of the one for whom we were created. And in a sense, that's us longing to go back to our spiritual roots. You know, I don't know how many of us on the call tonight were born in the same village that our grandparents were born into. Probably very few of us. Or how many of us were even born in the same town that our parents were born into? Very few. And yet we know those places. We, we go back to them because we want to know our human roots. And the same is true about our spirits. Our spirit always wants to go back to its root. And so if our root is the promise, our root is the promise of the presence of God, then we have to come out of this nativity, our, our, our nature, the, our native land where we were born out of the presence and then be moved into the presence, which is God's promise. And when God calls Abram out, when he says to him, come and I will make you and I will bless you, God is saying, this is my promise to you, to bless you and to restore you and to revert you back to your original state, your state of glory. So we have to understand that there's always a land of nativity and there's always a land of promise and the two are not the same. So God speaks to Abram and he says, come out of your land of nativity and I'm going to show you this promise and I'm going to make you and I'm going to bless you. And this is important for us when we think about leadership, because as a leader, when you are called, you're going to be called to leave the back and come to the front. And so not all of us have to leave our country and our kin and our father's house, but you have to leave something. You have to leave something. Sometimes it's a habit. Sometimes it's a temperament. 
Sometimes it's a particular sin. Sometimes it's just the self-conception of who you are. Sometimes it's this very carefully crafted persona or identity that you have formed for yourself. Whatever it is, sometimes it's a weakness. Sometimes it is friends. Sometimes you need to, there's always something that you have to leave and come out of before you are prepared to enter into this promise. What's interesting about Abram's story is, is that when God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, he's calling him out of a place that Abram has prospered in. We know that Abram already has flocks. We know that Abram has a beautiful wife. And so Abram is prosperous by his own means. He's prosperous by the standards of the day. When they leave Ur of the Chaldees, the Bible tells us that they had to leave with all of their possessions and all of the, the souls that they had accumulated while being in Haran. And so the question, when you dare to follow this call out of whatever it was before and now into leadership, are you willing to leave what has made you prosperous until now? Maybe you've always relied on something, your intellect, your natural charm, your beauty, your athleticism, your sense of humor. Whatever it is, there is something that has prospered you until now. You've gotten to where you've gotten to by virtue of some skill or talent or ability or characteristic that you've been able to hone and you've been able to trade on it and you've done pretty good for yourself. But God's call is, can you come out of that? Because what it is, is that Abram had made himself a nation unto himself. But God is now speaking and he's saying, come out because I want to make you a nation unto me. The other thing about Abram's journey, this journey of faith, this journey of blessing, is, is that the reason why it is a journey of faith is because as a leader, you are now stepping out to create something that you haven't seen. You're fostering, you're building something before you've seen it. And the question is, is, as you walk with God on this journey, are you able to trust him farther than you can see him? Which is kind of an amazing question in and of itself, because of course, none of us have seen God. When God speaks to Abram and he says, come out and I will show you this land. He doesn't tell Abram where it is. He doesn't tell Abram what it's called. He doesn't tell Abram what it's like. He doesn't tell Abram what he's going to do with him when he gets there or how he's going to inherit or possess it. He just says, God just says, I'm going to show it to you. Like you can see it, but that's as much information as Abram gets. But Abram gets up and he goes. And this is why the Bible tells us when it says, when Jesus is quoting Isaiah and the prophet says that these people will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. I speak to them in riddles. 
Otherwise, they would turn to me. In other words, they would repent and I would heal them. And that's a really difficult thing for us when we, when our native land is the world and we're coming out of a land that tells us that seeing is believing. You know, you've you got to see it to believe it. But God's call is no, you come out. You have to believe it before you're even going to see it. And we know, of course, that Abram believed. So Abram gets up and he goes to this land. And we know Abram's story. We know that at the time when Abram gets this call, he's already old, he's 75. So he's lived a, a total life. We know that he's prosperous. We know that he has a beautiful wife. We know that when he gets to the land, what's so interesting actually is that when he gets to the land, he actually wanders. You know, you read that, you read those passages. It talks about how he pitched his tent at Bethel and then he pitched it between Bethel and Ai. And then he moved to Sheshem and then he was at Moreh and then he, he ended up at, on the plains of Mamre. So Abram is in this land. He's now in this promised place, but he's wandering around. He's still living in tents. He's moving around, but being in this promised land. We know that early on there's a famine in this land. So God has gotten Abram to get up, to move to this place, to, to do this thing. And yet disaster strikes in that place. There's a famine. So Abram and his people, they've got to get up and they've got to go to Egypt. They have to sojourn in Egypt for a little while until the famine is over. And we know that years pass. And when Abram, they go back to Canaan, they're, they're, there's conflict because now this promise is not big enough to keep both him and Lot. Their herders are butting heads. And so there's conflict. They separate. When the war with the kings happens, there's war. And then we know that the years are going by, that there's 10 years, and then there's Ishmael, and then it's another 14 years before there's Isaac. And all of this time, it's only a few moments in these 24 years where God speaks up. God is silent as Abram is wandering around while being in this promise. And this is for us to know that as a leader, there will be moments after you have moved into the promise, there will be moments of God's silence. So you are going to be as a leader in the promise, but wandering in silence. And that's so hard for us. We know that God's revelation is progressive, that God doesn't reveal everything at the beginning. He gives it bit by bit. And so this is an encouragement for us that just because God's gone quiet on you, it doesn't mean that you're not as a leader in his will. It doesn't mean that you've left the promise. You are in the promise, but you're just getting up and pitching your tent here, pitching your tent there, but you're still in Canaan. And in fact, God's silence is the proof that you are in the test of faith. God's silence is the proof that you're in the test. How do we know this? 
Because how many of us have been in situations where you're writing the exam, you're in the invigilation hall, and the master is shouting out the answers? That's never the case. When you're writing the exam in that hall, it's so quiet that you could hear a pin drop. You know, you can hear, all you hear is you hear the scratching of pencils. You hear someone tapping their foot because they're nervous. You hear someone swearing in the back because they don't know, you know, the log frame, what the answer is. It's total silence. And it's the silence that lets you know that you are in the exam hall. So don't take God's silence as a thought that he's angry with you or as a thought that you are out of the land, no, you are in the land, you're wandering the land, but you're wandering it in his silence as proof that you are taking the test. And it's in these moments where God is training us to depend on him. He's training us to rely on him as leaders. Remember, he's called us out of the native land. So you're no longer to rely on the things that you relied on back there. You're not to rely on your friends for advice. You're not to rely on your parents for counsel. Yes, it's good to have a multitude of advisors, but God wants you to go to him first to seek counsel. The other thing that Abram's call shows us is that as a leader, you have to know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, God will plant his blessing right in the place of your pain. The one thing that we know about Abram is that he had no child. And what God says, not the first time, but after he has repeated the covenant a few times, God tells him that I will give you a son. It's not going to be this Eliezer from Damascus. I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to do that by giving you the thing that hurts the thing that has pained you all these years, even though you were prosperous, even though you were successful. And this is for us to know that God is not ignorant to your hurt. God's not ignorant to your shame. He's not ignorant to your disappointment. But what he's trying to gauge here, he's trying to gauge the degree to which you can really trust him. Can you trust him if he plants the seed in that sharp, painful, bitter place that's surrounded by all these broken pieces that's tender and fragile and painful to touch? That's where God plants Abram's seed. Will your faith allow you, as a leader for him, to believe that his seed, his promise for you is right in the place where it hurts. And when God speaks to Abram and he tells him that he's going to bless him, he's not speaking about material blessings. He's not speaking about marriage or a good job or healthy kids or security. Because as we said, when we look at Abram, he's got these things already. He's, well... <laughs> Except for, the, except for the healthy kids. But he's prospered. Sarai is beautiful. He's got flocks of men. He's got a whole army unto himself. He has good relations with his neighbors. So Abram is already this nation unto himself. 
But God is in this process of construction, making Abram into Abraham, taking him out of his land of nativity. And this is going to be about the spiritual blessings, the blessings that the blessed God gives, the, to know him and to have all spiritual blessings. And so why does God choose to bless Abram if it's not about Abram having stuff? God's blessing is for Abram to know him. And when you are a leader and God calls you to bless you, to make you a great nation so that others will be blessed through you, He's not doing that only for you to become famous, only for you to become a household name, only for you to do great things for him. He's doing that. He's giving you these spiritual blessings for you to know him. Because every leader needs a revelation of God before he can reveal God to the people. This is why the prophets spend so much time on the mountaintop when Moses has to go up and spend those 40 nights and 40 days in God's presence. It's for him to get to know who God is face to face so that when Moses now has to explain God, teach the people who he is, he's speaking from that personal revelation. So God's spiritual blessings for you as a leader are not for the stuff they're not for the security, they're not for the protection, they're not even for the great things that you'll do, the greater works that you'll do, but they are for you to know him, to have this personal revelation so that as a leader you can reveal the same God whom you've met to the people. And this is a really hard one for us because we are so used to thanking God for the stuff. You know, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a few years ago when um, I, my landlady invited me for a family lunch. And so as we were sitting there, her little grandson was uh, so grateful when she gave him his piece of chicken, you know, and, and the earnestness and the sincerity with which he thanked her. I mean, I, I just will never forget it. He was like, thank you, Grandma, <laughs> you know? And as I looked at him, I said, you know, I mean, this kid, he's so thankful, but it's because he was so hungry, you know? <laughs> and that's how we are when we, when we thank God. Yes, it is good. It is important. We have to give God thanksgiving and give him praise for the stuff, you know? He heals us. Praise God. He helps us. Praise God. We finished. We passed the test. Praise God. We got the job. But those things are not engineered for us to say thank you just for the chicken. You know, that little boy, in that moment, he was thanking grandma, but he was thanking her for the chicken. He wasn't thanking her because she was grandma. And if we treat our blessings like that, then we actually miss who God is. So these spiritual blessings are for us to know this God whom we lead for so that we can, with conviction and persuasion, reveal him to those who we are leading. So God says, come out. I want to show you something. 
And we know that this journey is long, this journey of faith, this journey of blessings. It's a long way when we look at the ancient maps and we see the distance from Ur of the Chaldees and Haran all the way to Sheshem, to Bethel. It was a long way. And so this is to remind us that this journey of faith, this journey of blessing takes a long time. So as I'm wrapping up, I want to make five points as a godly leader. How must you journey then when God calls? The first thing to know is that journey, knowing that you'll have to drop some things. So I said it already that there came a time when Abram had left his native land already. And he was supposed to leave everything. He was supposed to leave the country. He was supposed to leave his kin. And he was supposed to leave his father's house. And yet we see Abram with his nephew, Lot. And there were probably very good reasons why Lot followed. Probably some um, practical reasons, like Abram was 75, you know, Abram was old. He probably felt he could use a trusted pair of hands. Um, maybe they were emotional reasons. I mean, maybe Lot was Abram's favorite nephew. Whatever it was, there, there were some valid reasons why Lot followed and went with Sarai and Abram and all of the souls that they had gathered. But we see that the promise is not big enough to hold them all. That the promise becomes crowded. The Bible says in, in those days, the Canaanite was still in the land. So God has taken Abram to this place of promise. It's already crowded with the inhabitants who will eventually be dislodged, but for the meantime, they're there. So Abram has to coexist in the promise, but with some, uh, some principalities who, who in time, in the passage of time, will be removed. But for the meantime, they're there. And his, his nephew, Lot, who is not supposed to be there. And so the question for you, as you are journeying on this journey of faith, this journey of blessing, what have you brought from the past that you have to drop? What's the thing that you brought along with you on this journey that's actually becoming a hindrance to you? It's actually preventing you from hearing God's voice because what we see is it's not until after Lot separates that the Lord speaks to Abram the next time. So what have you brought from your native land that you need to drop as you journey on, on this journey of faith, this journey of blessing? Point number two, know that on this journey, you have to walk and worship at the same time. One of the things that we notice about Abram is, is that every time he wandered and he set into a place, when he pitched his tent, when the Lord appeared to him there and would speak to him, Abram would build an altar. In other words, Abram would make a place of worship even as he was wandering in this land of promise. And so it tells us that as leaders for God, we have to walk and worship, even if we are not settled. Abram never was able to build himself a house in Canaan. He ended his days still living in tents. 
but as he walked, he worshipped. And so as you are moving as a leader on this journey of faith and journey of blessing, are you worshipping deeply enough? Are you worshipping God frequently enough? Are you worshipping God sincerely enough for you to actually get the next piece of the puzzle, get the next part of the sentence of that promise that he is giving you? So as you journey, you have to walk and worship. Point number three, journey knowing that when the appointed time of your promise comes, it won't be because you've done anything other than kept walking by faith. In other words, this promise comes, the time of the promise comes, and it is not by works. And again, as leaders, this is so counterintuitive and this is so difficult because we always talk about as a leader, one of the things that you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to, the leader does not sleep. The leader is always planning. The leader is always encouraging others. The leader is always mentoring. The leader is always going before the people, pioneering, um, cutting the bush, you know, forging ahead, casting the vision. And so it's not a restful status. The leader doesn't do nothing. Inherently, as a leader, you, you are doing something. You've been called to do something. And so how do we balance the doing with not relying on the works? But when we look at Abram, when God shows up after the 24 years, so after the business with Ishmael, and after Ishmael is now 13 years old, and, and when God appears to Abram this time, he says to Abram, walk before me blameless, walk before me faithfully. And it's this time that God shows up where he finally changes Abram's name to Abraham. And he says that you will no longer be called Abram, which means exalted father. You will now be called Abraham, which means father of many. And what's amazing for us is, is that even when Abraham was not, even when he was still Abram, when he was in this process of becoming, the hint of God's plans and promises for him was always there. Because why should this man be called exalted father when he was childless? And yet when God shows up in this moment, what God does is he multiplies that hint. He multiplies that seed and turns that exalted father into a father of many. But it's not because of anything that Abram does in the moment. So it's not by Abram's works. It's by Abram's walking faithfully by Abram's walking and worshiping. And it's just in God's appointed time because of Abram's faith, even though he didn't stop wandering in the promise, that God shows up and he multiplies that promise. So there's nothing that Abram did in that moment to prompt the changing of his name. It took place after this long time of him walking faithfully, walking blamelessly, learning how to walk and worship in the land, 
while still wandering in it. So this is to tell us that the blessing is not by our works, that the blessing is by our faith. And this is why the Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is why Isaiah says that, you know, them who wait on the Lord shall mount up with eagle's wings, that they will run and not grow weary, that they will walk and not faint. And actually, when we quote that verse, we very rarely quote it with the verse that comes before it, Isaiah 40, chapter 30. No, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 40. No, 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 no. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. There. The verse 30 actually says that the youths stumble. The youths fall. So this walk of this journey, this journey of faith and this journey of blessing is not for the swift. The verse says even the youths grow tired and weary and the young men stumble and fall. But them who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So this journey of faith, this journey of blessing, it demands stamina. And God will give you the stamina as you keep trusting in him, as your faith grows in him. Romans tells us that Abraham did not stagger under the weight, that hope against hope, he believed in hope, that even though the promise of God was so heavy, that because his faith was strong, he didn't stagger under it. He didn't, he didn't tumble under it. And so as a leader, just know that this journey of faith, this journey of blessing, there's nothing for you to do. It's not by your works even though as a leader you will have to work, but it's not by your works. It's by walking before God blamelessly, by walking before him faithfully and doing what he tells you to do. Fourth point, journey, knowing that in the course of faith, there's always a final exam. So we know the final exam because in our English Bibles, the subheading is actually God tests Abraham, depending on the Bible you have. But in some versions, it will actually say that before the chapter begins. God tests Abraham. So when God calls Abraham and asks him to bring Isaac, and in that moment, what God is doing is he's asking for the promise back. And... It's amazing after everything that Abram has been through. Abram has lived a refugee life. He's been a migrant. He's left his name back in Haran, his, his prosperity in his hometown. He had these long years of living on the plains of Mamre, not hearing anything from God. He had these domestic and marital challenges. And then finally, after so many years... Abram's eyes see the promise. He sees Isaac and he grows with Isaac and he loves Isaac. And then one day God says, I want Isaac. And so as you journey, this journey of faith, this journey of blessing, are you able, will you be able, when you come to that moment where you have to kill the dream you have to kill the hope. But you don't kill your faith. And this is what's so amazing about this sacrifice. 
that the, the test is, can you kill the dream? Can you kill the hope, but without killing your faith? Are you able to trust God enough to give him back that promise as you've now seen the seed of this promise and it's growing, it's growing, and God asks for it back? Are you able to kill the dream without killing the hope? And we know that at this point, Abraham, as he's called, he's able to do it without hesitation, simply because in this long walk, this long walk to faith, this long walk to blessing, he's come to know who God is. And he's so convinced of who God is. When he's worshiping God now, he's not worshiping him for the chicken. He's worshiping him for who he is. He says, yes, Lord. Now, remember when we spoke about this earlier, we spoke about the three-day road. We spoke about the process of dying to self, that it took three days for Abraham and Isaac to make that walk up to the top of Mount Moriah. And it's in that moment, the three days, the days that when you're in the belly of the fish, as, as, as Jonah was, the three days that um, Paul was blind when the, before the scales fell off his eyes, the three days that Jesus was in the belly of the earth. That's the period of dying to self. So Abraham is going on this trek about to kill the dream, and yet he's not killing his faith. Let's make the last point, which is that you are to know that, make this journey, get on this journey knowing that the blessing is not about you. That as a leader, you're thinking about that thing that will outlive you or that thing that will outlast you. So when we go back to this scripture in Genesis chapter 12 and when God blesses Abram. He was speaking about the seed. God said that he would bless Abram through his seed, through this seed of a promise that was planted in him. And yet here's the thing that when Abraham died, he still hadn't seen the promise. When Abraham died, all he had seen was Isaac. He hadn't seen Jacob. He hadn't seen the 12 tribes. He hadn't seen the multitude of this nation, but he had only seen the beginning of this promise manifest. And Hebrews tells us that when Abraham died, that all of these, all of these greats of the faith, they were still living in tents. In other words, they were still in their temporary dwellings. They were still sojourning. But Abraham had decided that seeing Isaac was enough for him. Seeing Isaac was enough for Abraham to know the good thing that God had started. And he knew that this good thing that the Lord has started, he'll continue it until the completion of his day. And this is why Jesus himself, when he's speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, he says to them, your father Abraham saw my day and was glad. In that moment, when Abraham is killing his dream, he's about to kill his dream, but he's not killed his faith. He looks up and he's standing on the top of Mount Moriah and he can see down the line of time and he can see Jesus on the cross and he is glad because he has seen the fruition of his seed. So the point is, is that as you take this 
journey as a leader, this journey of faith, this journey of blessing? Are you looking at the seed, contemplating what it will be that outlives you? So God's blessing to you is actually not about you. It's about the seed. And are you willing to do what it takes to serve that seed? To know that you're currently just a sojourner, walking this walk of faith, walking this walk towards the blessing, walking and wandering, walking and worshiping, but believing this God who has given you this promise, who's called you out of the land of your nativity and into this land of promise. And he says, I will show you, I will bless you. And then the scripture ends, so Abram went. And so my prayer for all of us this evening is, is that we would have the faith of Abram, that when God shows up and he says, come out of your old ways of being, of your old ways of thinking, come out of everything that you thought you knew, come out of your temperament, come out of your habits, come out of your fears, come out of your self-reliance, come out of the things that your mother told you, come out of the things that your father said, come out of your friends. I want to show you something. I want to show you this promise that I have for you. My prayer for all of us is, is that when God gives you that promise or gives you the hint of that promise, when he gives you that invitation to the promise, that you and I, that we will all be like Abram and get up and go. Amen.